Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of the Boldly Immortal. I'm going to be honest, I had gotten well through recording another version of this podcast, a different different set, and, uh, and then I ended up realizing I had something else completely on my mind. And so uh, hopefully that idea comes more fleshed out in the future. Um, but welcome back to the podcast of the Boldly Immortal. I know it's been it's been some time. Um, I'm gonna do a quick pitch right here to ask that you do um, share this if you like the the thoughts that we we go through here and the different ramblings that I am presenting. Uh, I know I don't ask it very often, but you know, we haven't haven't really quite gotten the reach that that we used to, and uh, so I'm hoping. Hoping to get get some people back, um, get some feedback on this, but uh, glad to have you here. The the topic of the previous one was going to be called Here, Consider Your Station, Um, and it was going to cover effectively how how I've learned or hoping, working on learning, right? I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound like an expert already, um, but but how I'm working on approaching uh, relationships with other people. You know, in such a way that you first ask, uh, well, what would I like them to be? And then what should I be myself? Like, what, what, is, what does God say I should be doing? And then, well, what should they be doing, right? What kind of person would I like to actually to be, be? What kind of person uh, would I be interacting with um, if I was this kind of man? How, how would I, for example, how would I treat other people if I was a better man? And how would that affect them and empower them to be better people themselves? Um, it's, a, it's a fascinating, I guess, little exploration of, of uh, thinking about who we are and, and what we ought to be. But that, um, that kind of got overridden by politics. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't blame politics for coming up. Um, honestly, it's such a big topic right now that... Uh, I'm surprised I didn't get to it earlier. The month of June was pretty crazy for that, right? Um, and I don't need to remind y'all about that. It was, it was a very hectic month. A lot of people with a lot of opinions, um, a lot of chaos. Honestly, um, looks like some of that's cooled down, but not all of it. And let's uh, let's pray that it doesn't get too too out of control going forward. But in my deliberate attempts to reduce my, my personal stress through a good diet and uh, a good uh, approach towards mindfulness and meditation, I was, I was really able to let a lot of that go. Um, and especially after the fourth, uh, which was just fantastic for me um, for a variety of reasons. Um, I've, I've really been able to kind of settle down and say, okay, let's rethink this thing. Let's rethink this politics thing and, and how, how to approach it. It's, it's a big mess. I'll be honest. I'm not, I'm not promising that I'm going to provide you some magic bullet to let you look at the world in, in uh, a way such that you have hope. Because I don't think that's fair. I don't want to. I never want to actually give you um, lasting hope for 
things in this life resolving in a desirable way. Because that's not what our hope is in, right? This is the podcast of the boldly immortal, not the the boldly temporal. Um, now, that isn't to say we shouldn't desire that, and that isn't to say that um, if if uh, you end up feeling more hopeful about the future, then I've you know failed at my job. I'm not here to de- to depress you either. What I'm here to do is is well, I'm my goal here is to talk about truth in in ways and in concepts that we may not have done so before, that you may not have heard of before. That's what I'm here for. That is my goal. And um, so, if you think that's worth uh, worth sharing, thanks. If you think that's worth listening to, I am I'm very glad you're here. So, what is it about politics that's gotten me all riled up? Well, as usual, it it tends to uh, it tends to it comes from uh, the the attitudes about it in the church and my community. And me actually sitting back and thinking about whether that's what I want it to be, whether that's proper. You know, I need to ask, I need, I am obliged, I would argue, to ask what the, the, the proper way of doing things is, even in the face of, of political opposition or cultural opposition. Now, that doesn't mean I'm sitting on my horse, my high horse, and saying, I have all the answers. No. No, that is foolishness, and I should know better than to to entertain those ideas. What that does mean is I should weigh the traditions and the histories honestly. I should look at them and actually say, what are they there for? What are they teaching? Why are they good? And why aren't we doing it that way anymore? <laughs> right? Um, why have we changed things? In what ways were we right? In what ways are we wrong? It's not about me putting my desires and my opinions onto the world. It's about using the the brain that God has given me to think about the wisdom that is that is existing in in the systems we have and the wisdom that existed in systems that we have abandoned or in in principles in institutions that we have have let uh, let fall by the wayside, and what wisdom is there in in places we have not searched for it before, perhaps, uh, which we ought to ought to look at or or consider and in consider incorporating into our own, uh, because it is good wisdom. That's that's where this all kind of boils up, and the start of this was um, unsurprisingly the coronavirus pandemic. I'm not going to get more on that. The coronavirus, um, not pandemic, it's the um, home arrest, the house arrest imposed by the government um, in the name of health and wellness. And the fact that that generally turned our churches into um, virtual only um, meditation spaces. Right? It was a, it was an on, it was a virtual place you went to to meditate weekly, and that's it. It wasn't a family, it wasn't a brotherhood, right? It wasn't a a house, somebody's house that you would go to, you know, because you're allowed to. You weren't even allowed to do that, but like, you're still allowed to go to your own family's house, right? Under 
house arrest, and yet we could not go to our father's house to join together at his table because it was unhealthy, right? Because we care about people. And, and to a certain extent, I agreed with it. I did. I agreed with the church making that decision of its own free will. I don't think I agree with the government coming in on it. And that comes from an underlying philosophical uh, argument against the government uh, that comes from some of my libertarian principles. But it also comes from the bare fact that, well, God commanded it. God commanded it, so we should probably, you know, gather and, you know, come, you know, join together if we can. And, and you know, yes, again, at first, it was somewhat reasonable. It was somewhat reasonable. Now I'm not so sure. Now I'm not so sure at all. Um, and I'm more afraid of what's going to come next because of the way we think about things now. Are we going to do this every winter? Because I tell you what, the flu comes around every winter and kills a bunch of people. Tuberculosis kills a bunch of people. Pneumonia. It's real. It's very real. Are we about to change the way that we worship? Are we? I don't know. Are we going to change 2,000 years, more than 2,000 years, frankly, because we're, we're, we're hearkening back to older traditions. Are we going to change the way we worship because the 21st century has decided that the human immune system doesn't work anymore? Well, that is something I think we should at least have the freedom to discuss as a people. And the, in many ways, um, medieval lockdown um, laws that we had going on, you know, these, these, these ridiculous separations that we still have in place in many pla uh, places across the globe, you know, where viruses magically disappear after 105 minutes at a pub, you know, they don't, they're not effective anymore. But before that, deadly, very, you know, or, or, or sorry, it's the other way around. For 105 minutes, they're fine. But if you stay there a little bit longer, then it's a problem. That's the, that's the, that's the way we think about it. You know, that, that it's not good for me to show you my humanity. That I'm not allowed to smile anymore. I've had that taken away in many places. Now, I understand the arguments. Don't hear me saying that I don't understand the arguments, but I do believe, and this is this is kind of where, where this analysis of America's governmental system has come from. I believe that we have a duty as Americans to hold on to our individual freedoms. It's one of the reasons I, over the 4th of July, there was a video circulating about Los Angeles, right? There was an order, you're not supposed to be making fireworks, and I'm not, I'm not surprised by that order because, well, it's, it's California. They've had fire problems. They've had drought problems. But they've also been suffering under some of the worst lockdown rules. I mean, the idea that just whenever you're in public, you have to wear a mask. Even if you're outside, come on. Come on. Um, and what we saw on the 4th was helicopter shots of the entire city lit up. That's the kind of civil disobedience I can get behind. 
That's the kind of American mentality that I can get behind. Now, you might say to me, you know, hey, what about respecting your authorities, right? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. You know, submit yourself to the governing authority, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves, because rulers are not a terror to good works but evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise. For he is, is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. For this reason you pay taxes. So, there we go. Right? We ought to be submitting to the authority. Well, we already know there's some caveats to that, right? We must obey God rather than men. This was in particular related to the preaching of the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel by the apostles in the book of Acts was being prohibited by the local temple authorities, and they said, no, we're not going to stop. We are commanded to continue preaching. We are commanded to preach. We're not going to stop. All right? Um, and in a lot of states, essential uh, work was... Uh, part of the definition of, of a church, right? So that's a weird way of saying that churches were essential. And you could have a live stream service, you just couldn't have anybody there. Tell me, is that how church works? Right? Is that how the the gathering of people, right? The fellowship, the communion of the saints, is that how that works? You know, common union virtually? I don't think so. I don't think so. In fact, I'm pretty sure that we've got some theology that says, um, actually, we have like a, this weird, not weird, this mystical and glorious metaphysical reality where we're all actually joined together as one body in Christ. Not simply in a metaphorical way, but like, in, not a metaphorical, but a metaphysical way. In, in a way beyond our comprehension when we share in his body. We are all bound up to him, right? It's amazing. It's truly amazing. Uh, but you can't do that virtually. I don't care what arguments you make. You're not going to win that argument. You cannot do that virtually. The common union of the church doesn't work that way. So, are we commanded to gather? Yeah, we kind of are. So, I'm, I'm very grateful that I got that opportunity, and I'm grateful that we're finally getting back to it. But what's our attitude going to be next time? That's what I'm worried about. That's what I'm worried about. Um, so I want to make that clear. Full disclosure. That's why I'm that's why I'm upset. Because I don't want to do this again. I don't want to have to play this game. Now, it is possible the next one is going to be bad. It is also true that people are going to continue dying of disease until the Lord returns. That people have been praying for ending the ending of deadly pestilence. Since the beginning of the church, it's part of our litany, right? To be preserved from famine and, and, and bloodshed, from, from, um, from you know, pe the pestilence. Um, shucks, I should remember that. But, but, you know, these are things that have always been a part of, of human existence. And it is something that is ultimately always under God's control. 
I don't know how much you know about the West Africa Ebola outbreak, right? The only it's it's the reason you know about Ebola, right? I'll put it that way, right? And then it vanished. It just disappeared, right? Suddenly, it wasn't a global problem anymore. Do you know why that is, right? The reason that Ebola stopped being a problem wasn't because we came out with a magical vaccine. It wasn't because we had some some perfect policy on lockdown there. Partially because you you literally could not afford that, right? In that in, in West Africa, no, there's no way you can afford that economically. The only reason we get away with it is because we're we in America are very good at making funny money and and just adding debt because well basically because nobody else in the world has our has the stability we have, which is very sad. Like America is the most stable country on earth within the first world. Like we are the most prosperous, most stable country on earth. It's it's insane. You might look at us and say, "Well, there's not no way." But, you know, one look at demographics, my friend. One look at demographics, which I've talked about in another episode, a previous episode of this podcast, will show you that uh, America is probably the only country that will be as prosperous as it is today or has a chance of maintaining prosperity in the next 30 years because we actually had kids, right? It's not even about immigration. We had kids. Now, it might be because the immigrants came in and they have kids, but you know, immigrants tend to adapt to the local birth rates pretty quickly. So there's something about American culture that did that. Um, something good. And I'd say some of that has to do with our relationship with the government to segue myself back into that, right? So the reason that the West Africa Ebola virus was, uh, was wiped out had nothing to do with the government policy. It had to do with the fact that, well, there was a less dangerous uh, version an a, a effectively asymptomatic variant that blew through the population and inoculated everybody, right? God sent a vaccine. God sent a vaccine for the West Ebola, for the West African Ebola virus. Now, am I saying that that's, be, you know, what we should always count on and we should not do any science at all and we shouldn't start? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. God gave us my re- he gave me my reason and all my senses and he still takes care of them right he gave me my reason to serve my neighbor so i ought to do what i can to serve my neighbor so i need to balance an understanding of of how viruses work and you know good fiscal policy and understand that hey maybe when unemployment goes up it kills people too Maybe when you lock people down, that kills people too. Maybe we need an actually reasonable solution here that incorporates a lot of different variables that looks at, hey, who's the most at risk? Maybe maybe they should be vaccinated, but maybe the rest of the population needs to get inoculated sooner rather than later for the sake of empowering them to serve their neighbors again, to go back to work. To, to live real lives, to have society, to interact as people, to hug one another, to shake each other's hands. I don't care how non-hygienic it all is. It's part of our it's part of our culture, it's part of being human. Physical touch is part of is part of trust. And and if we don't trust one another, of course the whole system's gonna fall apart. Right? Why shouldn't it? 
And, and why should I trust someone who has a deliberate agenda for me not to trust my neighbors, who doesn't want me to build trust with them by isolating myself physically from them? That, that just seems fishy. That doesn't seem very loving to me, right? Um, there are alternative solutions, right? What if you had COVID wards and you had a specific section that was itself quarantined because that's what you do with, oh, sick people, not an entire population. And then you had sick wards in your hospital where you could take care of people. And, oh, look at this, flatten the curve, right? Remember when that was the thing, flatten the curve, not eradicate it completely, flatten the curve. We've completely ignored that, right? Deaths are, are plummeting, even though cases are skyrocketing. I don't trust the data. Who can you trust? The the sorcerers have not the sorcerers. The sorcerers have lied through their 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 portals of of hatred and 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 breeding malcontent and division with people. Right? Those who showed us visions have given us visions that we are more divided than we actually are that our world is more chaotic than it actually is. They have twisted the vision we have of this world. The watchmen have failed us. But in the same way, the wizards have, the mages, the wise men, those who ought to have been studying nature and, and philosophy and, and doing so for our good may not have been serving our good in the way that, that they ought to have. They may have failed, but, but how would we know? And at this point, there is such fundamental disagreement on presuppositional stuff, you know, on, on the basic foundational premises of what we do and how we think that I'm not surprised that we have problems getting along with one another. So what does this have to do with politics? In the midst of all of this, returning to the, the text. Who is Caesar? Whose, whose image, whose likeness is placed on that? Right? Now, our money, we happen to have, well, modern money really doesn't have a likeness, right? It's a dollar sign. It's a dollar sign. Um, represents an idea, frankly. The idea of the dollar, this virtual entity that increases that well doesn't doesn't ever increase in value always depreciates always depreciates this this in this intentional action done by our system to incentivize constant growth with the under the illusion that it is possible now i think we're in for a reckoning because populations haven't been increasing but efficiency still has because of technology so who knows how long it'll last all i know is i can expect within my lifetime the correction to begin. I don't know if it'll end, but it'll at least begin. So, what is Caesar? Who is Caesar? Is it the president? Clearly not, right? Clearly not. I mean, think about the, the, the variation in, in who that man is regularly. You, can't, you cannot stand on principle, right? You cannot stand on principle and support all of the presidents because a lot of their principles are, well, oppositional, right? They, 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 do not, they do not form a single coherent picture. Okay. So it's not the president. Is it the Congress? Well, same problem there. Is it the courts? Same problem there. Now, you could say, well, Caesar came and went. But 
I think the, the beauty of America is that we actually do have a king. This is, this is what I really needed to get, get out into the world, and I would love to hear your thoughts. America has a king, and we have for many years. And that king is the Constitution and Bill of Rights. That is our king. That is the law. That is the fundamental authority up uh, above everything else, right? And what we have done is effectively we, we anoint nine wizards to the council of wizards who then enter their, their chambers to meditate upon the will of the king, right? Because the king is in a trance, effectively, right? This is something that Warhammer 40k does. The, 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 I'm not going to get into it because it's complicated. But effectively, the chief um, authority of the Imperium of Man, this interstellar human um, empire, the chief authority is, is known as the God King. And he has gone into this trance. He's basically kept alive by technology, but he can't speak. So there, there's a certain religious order that rules in his stead um, alongside the like military heads. So you have politicians and religious, uh, religious priests. I mean, you have priests effectively um, coming together to determine the order for the country. And I think that's kind of the way it works in America, whether we like it or not. I think that's a pretty good analogy for it. Our king is, is not able to speak to us anymore, right? He spoke, and, and well, we we're technically able to, to hear from him uh, as we desire, right? Because if a sufficient will of the people comes together, we can have him speak, but we don't, we don't do politics that way anymore, right? Because we don't care, because that's hard. That's hard. You know, so instead of doing that, what we do is we anoint, we anoint the wizards to their council. We anoint um, the stewards of the king, right? Who, who, whoever we believe best embodies the king, right? In the same way that, that the kings of old embodied the gods and to such an extent that they eventually were given deity themselves, so also with American presidents. They represent a sufficient um, spirit of the people to, well, to such an extent that we are either going to you know, elect them or not elect them. If they aren't able to galvanize support, if they're not able to rep represent a sufficient population, they're not going to win. Um, so we elect these people. We appoint our you know, spiritual guide, to, to represent the king, to, to stand in his stead. And then we appoint other bureaucrats and officials to, 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 to bring our petitions, in theory, to the king, right? To the, to the order of wizards, you know, to the, to the bureaucrats, to, to speak in the general assembly the desires of the people, or at least kind of do that, right? To, to do what they deem best, and, and, and that's about all the hand we have in it. Okay. And if that was it, then I would have to look at that system and say, yeah, I probably should be, um, that, that seems to be the governing authority, right? 
But the thing is, the Bill of Rights has a, has some very important pieces to it. And and the, the that is that it effectively, in my mind, deputizes every American citizen. I am deputized with certain authority from the king, from Caesar himself. I am deputized with the authority to speak what I want, to worship God as I see fit, to defend my rights and the rights of my neighbors with deadly force if necessary. I have the right not to speak when the counsels of, of the wise come together and accuse me of wrongdoing, I have the right to be silent. I have the right to a defense, and I have the right to present my case before my brothers, before my kinsmen in this country, right? I have the right to home autonomy, where the, king, the king's representatives cannot place one of their own into my house to keep an eye on me, at least in theory, right? They cannot use military force to occupy my home or, you know, effectively control my living. This, this, and, and then, you know, I don't really remember six, seven, eight, and nine that well, and I'm, you know, I'd encourage you to look it up, you know, but especially for me, number 10. Right? The rights not enumerated there are given to the states respectively and to the people. Right? Anything, anything else, any other freedom, any other responsibility, any other authority that is not delegated to those men that we elect, those men that we choose to stand and represent us, anything that we don't put into that, that, that bureaucratic pile of the king's word is is for us. And and I think the what what really struck me there thinking about it this way is that it really well ties in with the um, the declaration of independence, right? If if the government does not uphold our rights, it is our right and it is our duty to replace it with a just government. That's what our that's what our king has said, right now. I'll admit, I understand that the, the, the Declaration of Independence is not the the king itself, but it is one of our foundational documents, and it ought to be held at the same level as the Constitution, right? It's it's granddad. It's it's the it's the father of the king, effectively. So we should look at his word too, because he was the king, right? That represented the voice of what the governing authorities the the not self-appointed, but chosen authorities of the people of these lands, what, what they, the men they chose came together and, and decided to create an environment in which a man would be free to live according to his conscience and defend his right to do so as an independent political entity and yet also wield the power within that system to act towards positive change with his neighbors 
So it's not just that you are alone and you do what you want. It's that you can also serve your neighbor by voting for, you know, voting or, or, or representing them, you know, voting for those who will represent you, um, who, will, who will uphold the causes that, that, that are just. And then that way you can temper the injustices that may happen to your brothers in another state, in another, you know, area of this country. So we have simultaneously the ability to be completely autonomous if we want, not completely autonomous, but, but largely autonomous, to live as we see fit and to resist injustice when it occurs in other places. This self-correcting mechanism has allowed for us to become who we are. It has empowered us to do the kind of good and serve our neighbors in the ways that we do. It is, it is what made us great. It's what makes America great. I am a deputy. I am a steward of the king. He has given me authority. He has also given me certain things that I don't have authority over, right? There are certain things I can't just go do whatever I want, but he has given me certain rights, and a right is a responsibility. Don't hear it as anything else. Because if you don't defend it, you lose it. If nobody has guns, if nobody keeps arms, keep and bears arms, well, you're not going to have them around for long. And, and the good reason that that was put in place will, um, will become self-evident because the evil that it was there to prevent will come to pass. Do not underestimate the amount of evil that men are in, are capable of, the amount of damage that men are capable of, and, and the amount of damage that evil men can do when they gain power over those who do not act. And therefore, it is the responsibility of everyone who wants his neighbor to speak freely, who wants to speak freely himself, but also cares about his neighbor enough to say, my neighbor deserves to be heard. It is your duty to speak freely. Now, that isn't to speak in un untruth. That's not to speak in justice. It is, you ought to go forth and speak the truth, especially when that is challenged. That is what your king demands of you. That, that is what Caesar commands. And I believe that nothing in the scriptures prevents us from going forth and speaking the truth. And in fact, we are commanded to do so. We are commanded in the scriptures to speak, to preach, to proclaim the good news, to speak truth as we serve our neighbors. We're, we, that is what we ought to be doing. And we have a king who, who says, yeah, do that. We have a king who says, yes, murder is wrong. And I'm therefore going to empower you to defend yourself. Yes, the, the authorities are good and proper, but fundamentally, the people are important. Father and mother, right there. Right? That, that you have the freedom to, to have your name respected unless it is proven that you have done wrong. In other words, you're not allowed to be slandered in the courts just because somebody feels like it. Just because somebody thinks you did something wrong, you have a right to a trial by a jury 
of your peers. Your reputation must be tested against evidence before it is besmirched. That is the king's command. That's, that's, that is the, the nation we live in. We live in a nation that encourages us to keep that commandment, that eighth commandment, right? To, to honor our neighbor's name and reputation. We have one, that a nation that, that, that empowers us to defend the property that God has given to us and keep it. Right? That, that enshrines that, that what we have is our own. Well, so does the commandment. You shall not steal. When God says you shall not steal, he's saying that belongs to your neighbor. It's not yours. You have your things. I gave them to you. Don't covet your neighbors. Right? Nine and ten. Be content with what I gave you. That's what God says. That's what God says. And, 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 and our king in America, empowers us to live that way. It empowers us to live with clean consciences. And, and it requires us to defend that right because it has deputized us. It has given us stewardship of our republic, right? We have a responsibility to act. We have a responsibility to do what is right to maintain the system, to enshrine the systems that we have been given and defend them. Right now, what are we talking about? Right, Tearing down the capitalist establishment. We need to rethink these institutionally racist systems. Well, I tell you what. Are the Ten Commandments racist? Are they prejudiced? Or are they just damning to everyone? Do they go to every man, no matter how wealthy he is, right? Oh, when do we forget about wealth? No matter how wealthy he is, no matter how high up a mountain he lives, right? No matter how many eggs he has in his kitchen, every man, regardless of his privileges, his egg privilege, is convicted by this. Is convicted by those Ten Commandments. And every man, regardless of how many eggs he has in his fridge is given the same rights under the U.S. Constitution. Under that, under those Bill of Rights, every man should have the same right to bear arms. And if in your community you know somebody who probably shouldn't have a gun, you should do something about that yourself. Be vigilant. Serve your neighbor. Stop offloading that to someone else just because you feel like the king was a bad king when he made that rule. I don't care. That's what the king told you right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Public protest shall not be infringed. The governments will not institute a specific religion, right? Which applies to Marxism because Marxism is a religion. So we have freedom. We have been enshrined with that freedom. We've been guaranteed that freedom. And that freedom has been guaranteed for every man, no matter how many eggs he has in his kitchen. No matter what creed, no matter what his, his skin color looks like, because I don't know why we arbitrarily choose that to identify with. No matter what color his hair, I tend to think that's more important. Or whether he's left-handed, come on. The only reason you don't see left-handed um, oppression is because you're right-handed. No, no, that's not how it works. Right? I don't care that I had to smudge 
all my essays as a kid writing with pencils, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I have the same rights. <laughs> uh, I have the same lefts. I have different lefts, but the same rights. Um, whatever. The uh, It doesn't matter if you can grow a beard or if you can't grow a beard. It doesn't matter if you're born male or you're born female. You have the same rights. You have the same right to bear arms. The king has given you this responsibility. Take it up. Pick it up. That's your job. That is your job. Your job is to defend what is right. Your job, your duty, your Christian duty as a citizen of this country, as a subject of the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, as your king, your duty is to love your neighbor, is to worship with a clean conscience, is to speak the truth, even and especially when people don't want to hear you speak it. It is to respect your neighbor, to love the cop that kills someone and not besmirch his name until he is until he's proven wrong in a court of law. No matter how obvious it looks, no matter how bad it is, your king has given him the right to a fair trial by a jury of his peers. And God has given him the right of a good name. And he has commanded you to uphold his good name, no matter how awful he is. No matter how awful you think he is, let it be proven in a court of law. That's what your king says. And God says, love him anyway. He's your neighbor. He's your neighbor. Doesn't matter how much money the billionaire has or how unjustly he got it. The king says it's his. The king says it's his. And God says, be content with what you have. Don't try to force redistribution. Don't try kicking them out by taking more of their money for you or just so that you can feel better about your life. There's a lot going on there. And and I've, I recently was having a discussion with some friends and I realized all politics has two poles. One is rational. One is, is the ability of the mind to apply itself to solving problems, to serving the neighbor, to calculating whether a certain thing will have a positive overall effect. That's, that's part of, of politics. Does this help people in a way that is good in the long run? That's part one. Part two, is this just? Is this right? Is this good? That's theological. That is a theological questions, my friend. Question, my friend. That is a matter of what you believe is good. This, this is every reason why we should have prayer in schools. Why we should have the Ten Commandments at courthouses. Because they declare fundamentally what we believe is good. And if you if have a, if you have a problem with that, if you have a problem with that. Tell me a better set of, of, of values. 
tell me a set of values that 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 better encapsulates justice, that better encapsulates truth, and then get a majority of people to vote on that, and then be prepared such that if you do end up getting that majority and then you begin to institute injustice, that people have the right to protest what you say, speak out against it, and in the end, if you come after them, or if you sufficiently disempower them, they use what the king commanded them to use to stand in your way. We live in a fantastically dangerous country. And we do it, we do it because we have shared values. Because we have a shared commitment toward, toward making this place a better place for, for us and for our children. The only reason we have this place, though, at all, the only reason we can get away with this, this mad, crazy, beautiful thing that is America, the only reason is because the king has given it to us. And, and we ignore that at our own peril. So, I'm going to go sing God Save the King. Or, perhaps, I'll just sing America's National Anthem. Because it's a fantastic national anthem. And I'm going to look at that flag hanging on my wall and appreciate it for what it represents. And I hope you had as fantastic, I doubt that you did, but I hope you had a fant as fantastic a 4th of July as I did. And I hope that you are willing to consider how you might uh, do what the king commands in your life going forward. And I'll see you next time.